the Forward Together podcast from Hollywood Trust with Paul Gosling and Jared Dean. Welcome to the Forward Together podcast. My name is Jared Dean and I'm hosting this along with Paul Gosling. Paul, how are you? Hi, Jared. So this podcast is a series of forward-focused conversations with political representatives and community representatives looking at four main issues, increasing the civic voice, creating a more shared and integrated society in Northern Ireland, dealing with the past and addressing the constitutional questions. And you had a chat on those questions, Paul, this time round with Senator Mark Daly. Yeah, and uh, we're very fortunate to be able to have the opportunity of speaking with Mark. I uh, interviewed him down in the Doyle in Dublin on a very busy working day. Uh, Mark is one of the most interesting uh, people within the discussion about the future of Ireland. Uh, he is a senator in the Erectus. He was chair of the Erectus Good Friday Implementation Committee until he fell out with the leadership of his party and got disciplined and got removed from that position. But Mark has commissioned a series of reports looking at the possibilities of Irish reunification, and he has in the last few days published one report and on the occasion that I've interviewed him he had just published a previous report which looked at the the risks possible risks of a return to violence uh, if we try and change the constitutional status within the north and that report involved some senior academics and also uh, one of the advisors to President Obama. And one of the things that I suppose is on this report is the connection between disadvantage in communities and paramilitary violence. Absolutely. And I think this is, you know, it's one of the themes that we've heard in a lot in the interviews, but perhaps not quite in the same language that Mark uses. And the point that Mark is making is one that we've all recognised, I think, which is that people feel let down that the Good Friday Agreement didn't deliver the peace dividend that people were led to expect. You know, the employment rate hasn't improved. You've got... Uh, I mean, the comparative employment rate with Great Britain hasn't improved. Mm-hmm. And uh, you've, you've still got significant levels of economic disadvantage, worklessness in a lot of the working class estates. And it is that connection between the lack of economic opportunity in the poorer areas and the support within those communities or within parts of those communities for paramilitaries uh, that is the topic of, of this report that Mark's talking about here. Okay. He also talks about taking an objective view of the past as a way of undermining, if you like, that paramilitary narrative. Yeah, I, I, again, one of the points that Mark is emphasising is this romanticisation of the Troubles. Mm. And he's saying that we need to have clarity about what actually happened the Troubles. There needs to be a level of objectivity about reporting of the past to remove this... Uh, this sense of glorification of what's gone before. And I think that ties into one of the other themes we've heard in lots of the interviews about the need to hear personal stories of, of, of you know, tragedy and harm and, and, and pain from the stories of the past in order to understand what they were really like. Okay. Well, let's hear the conversation that you had with Mark now. And um, we must point out, as Paul has already said, it was a busy day in the Dáil. So there are voting bells going off in the background. But if you can bear with it, um, it's really worth uh, listening to this conversation. Well, I literally only launched a report in relation to Brexit and the issue of Northern Ireland returning to violence in the event of a hard border due to Brexit and also the issue of a rushed referendum on a united Ireland. Uh, and this report I did in conjunction with two UNESCO world chairs who are experts in preventing violent extremism. Uh, and they make the point that, you know, in reality, you know, 
most kids in Northern Ireland will never get involved in any of that. But that was the same during the Troubles. Most people were not involved in armed conflict on either side. But it didn't take much more than a few people to create a huge amount of harm uh, to the whole society. So Professor uh, Dolan and Professor Brennan, who compiled this report, along with myself and Michael Ortiz, who was President Obama's senior policy advisor at the National Security Council uh, on counterterrorism, but also he was a, the first US diplomat appointed by the State Department on the issue of countering violent extremism. They put together a number of recommendations. In fact, the vast majority of the report is about what needs to be done now uh, in those disadvantaged communities. And there are a lot of the great programs are there, like they've been done and they are being done on a cross community basis, and, uh, but simply not of the scale that is required with the amount of money that is needed to make sure that what is termed in this report, the agreement generation, those who were born just before or since the Good Friday Agreement aren't radicalized, to use a term from a different conflict, and exploited by paramilitary leaders for their own ends, uh, either in the issue of Republicans to uh, achieve their aims of a border poll in the United Ireland, but then on the other side, uh, you know, loyalist paramilitaries wanting to maintain the status quo. So what it needs is a scaled up approach. And the professors are quite good in terms of they, they outline, you know, the, the fact that history could be used as a tool against itself. And in what they term is instead of using history as a way of mobilizing uh, communities uh, to settle grievances from the past. Uh, and as we all know, even God can't change the past. So trying to settle grievances by, uh, by using uh, force uh, is not the way forward, but what they do is they talk about using history as a way of teaching people the consequences of violent resistance and, you know, the consequences for ordinary people. The issue of integrated education is well known in Northern Ireland, but also, you know, in terms of housing, in terms of community and talking about non-formal education settings and the role of the arts as a place that, you know, through music, uh, movie, theatre that you could bring young people together in a shared space and they, the idea is set out in this report all about prevention and that is I suppose given the amount of time left before Brexit you can't put in those programs or you can't scale them up uh, to the way that they should be that uh, for the ones that are being done now but you can do that in as we go forward. So the key in your view is to scale up good practice clearly that can't be done overnight but in a progress and presumably that has to be uh, apart, you know, the, simultaneously, we need to close down bad practice, I guess. Yeah, I mean, and again, it's in the report that, uh, you know, some of the community leaders in, in both communities are community leaders by day and then they're, they're involved in criminality by night. And again, not of a huge scale. Most people are doing great work, but there are some who are not. And they are giving a romanticized view. And again, this is referred to in this report, a romanticized view of uh, the troubles. And in some communities, in the loyalist community, you know, your paramilitary leader during the troubles, you had standing in your community. You were protecting your community. You were in the UDR. You were in the, uh, you were in the the British Army, or you were in the RUC. You had standing. You had a well-paid job, uh, and you know there was that idea in the loyalist community that the, in some ways they were undefeated, and therefore, um, you know, they will never be defeated, and that 
that view is being put out there. Uh, and then on the Republican side is the unfinished business. And, you know, again, young people who have no memory of harm of the troubles uh, will be trying to uh, or will be exploited by, uh, by people, adults, who want to achieve their own ends and give this glorified view of the past. So that takes us straight into how we deal with the past. Uh, you know, there are different narratives of the past, but there's an implication from what you're saying, if I understand correctly, which is that the, uh, a more objective view of the past also needs to be put forward to undermine the paramilitary narrative. Again, the, uh, Professor Dolan and Professor Brennan, the UNESCO chairs, are quite strong on this. Uh, like they do say that actually the history that is being taught in Northern Ireland is fair, and like you know that that that, that there has been a huge amount of work done in that. But it needs a continual conversation, you know, and that is ongoing. It's not just one history class in a school that a child might receive, uh, you know, or a week of it or a month of it. It's uh, about the particulars of the Troubles or the Williamite Wars or anything like that's not enough. It needs to be constantly uh, enforced and people need to be uh, told about the the consequences of violence and empathy training and empathy is one of the big learnings and this is people are and this again uh, the perfect unesco chairs have worked globally on providing uh, programs and implementing programs on uh, preventing violent extremism and what we're talking about here to a large degree is preventing violent extremism and preventing young people being radicalized the issue of identity is very important but like what they talk about is you know the amount of good work that has been done but the return on investment that would come from having a huge scale up in the great practices that are in place at the moment but simply don't have the funding and the resources and the personnel to bring them across the board uh, and the need to put in that investment because there will be a huge return on that investment but but not putting in that investment will have equally huge consequences so it sounds as if what you're saying is that the, sh the emphasis shouldn't be simply on the political history. It should be more on the social history and the harm that was done to society people. to encourage people to have empathy with the victims of the troubles. Yeah, and I mean, that's about people, you know. Uh, you can have all the textbooks you want, but uh, and especially former paramilitaries and, and the victims coming together and sharing their experiences with schools and school children. But the most disadvantaged ones are the ones that are the hardest to get to because they might have dropped out of the school system. So how do you make sure that they still get that re investment in their futures that is required? And Michael Ortiz, President Obama's policy advisor on counterterrorism, his program and he, what he wrote for us was basically talking about the need to devise a, a program for Northern Ireland because each country is different, uh, how the structure is, community leaders in some areas can be religious and other areas can be civil, you know, uh, the role of family is very important to prevent kids being radicalised, making sure that there are social networks and shaping civil society through cross-community contact, but that is about scale and it needs to be done on a massive scale where you have, you know, Things like soccer, which is broadly cross-community in, in some instances, uh, and, you know, having those, but also theatre, the arts, you know, those are the areas where people can agree on. But doing that not only within Northern Ireland, but North-South as well, uh, and having business groups get together, it makes it much harder than for people to be radicalised by uh, paramilitary leaders and politicians. That's a huge job of work. But 
the investment is going to have a huge return because not doing that investment will have very bad consequences. So that's part of how we deal with the past, but we also have the legacy, we have the different views about how you deal with the past, whether you actually try, focus on sanction of people who uh, committed activities during the Troubles, or whether you focus on healing. I mean, what, what do we learn from your work? There are, yeah, there's no one-size-fits-all answers. Like, if you were talking to family members of someone who was killed or murdered during the Troubles, uh, some would want the truth, some would want uh, a court case, some would want to confront the, the person who killed their loved one. And so, therefore, there's no one-size-fits-all answer to that question. Uh, the, the, the difficulty is the balance between what is good for the future of Northern Ireland uh, and what... Uh, is the entitlement of people to get justice and they are entitled to get justice they're entitled to get the truth but it's trying to ensure that we get the truth while at the same time moving forward um, and also not re-traumatizing people because that is that's the key thing yeah but I, I mean they they are traumatized and in mm. the report that i did in 2017 for the good friday agreement implementation committee uh, which was the first ever report in the history of the Irish state by a Dáil Arsenic Committee on the issue of unifying Ireland, the long title of which is Brexit and the Future of Ireland, Uniting Ireland and its People in Peace and Prosperity. Senator Frances Fitzgerald did an excellent piece where she talked about the intergenerational trauma, where, in fact, there are now more people being traumatised by the Troubles and people who weren't even born during the Troubles are being traumatised by the, the consequences of the Troubles because their parents... Who had gone through the troubles who might have lost a loved one some of them could be suffering from mental health problems as a result post-traumatic stress disorder alcohol and drug addiction and that then is having effect on the next generation so now we are having a pyramid effect where there are more and more people being affected by the troubles and a generation that wasn't even born at the time so the the, the issue of investing and that's what i'm talking about the return on investment in mental health services is very important and but that requires structure it there are a lot of good people who set up something either on the Shankill Road or the Falls Road but then there's nothing you know over in East Belfast or there's nothing you know in Newry or there's nothing in Ballymena for people who suffered the same trauma so it doesn't have the rollout in the way that it should and that's why you need a plan because of course policy neglect seldom goes unpunished. So in other words, we shouldn't focus too much on avoiding re-traumatising people because they are still in trauma and the only way that that trauma can be dealt with is actually getting to the truth and moving beyond it. Well, I mean, what, like some people may never want to access the services, but the thing is the services need to be there and some people don't even know they are traumatised. You know, and and again, like you know, some people would 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 seek the justice, seek to confront. Some would like would seek to bury it, and that requires again, you know, the victims' commission and all that. You know, and the fact that the system is even holding back information on state security grounds. You know. Um, means that people are being traumatized more they're becoming victims again of the system uh, and uh, literally the the campaigns are being passed on from one generation to the next as the generation who 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 lost a loved one uh, a brother or a sister um, as they are dying off um, then you have their sons and daughters nieces and nephews who are taking up um, the the campaign to get the justice to get the truth uh, and that again has a huge 
drain on them as human beings and on their futures as well because they are not getting the um, the justice which they deserve uh, and it is having a knock-on effect on society so it, it really is about uh, making sure that you have programs in place but not having a belief that one size fits all you have to tailor the programs and uh, there's no simple solution but ignoring it is not the solution and in some instances that's what the irish government and the british government have done in terms of dealing with the legacies of the past they have not dealt with them in the way that they should and i mean I, like say for example in in the case of some of those people who were killed during the troubles they they haven't received an inquest legally required by the law of the land to have an inquest no inquest was carried out like i mean the basics weren't even done and again as you've said before there needs to be the focus on on the hurt of the individuals and the families and the communities rather than necessarily the politics yeah but the the problem with the politics is that there there's so many people of so much to hide on all sides uh, on the paramilitary sides and the police in the north and the south in britain um that the system, the establishment, and I mean that in every way, shape or form, on unionist and loyalist sides, Republicans and national side, the paramilitaries have a lot to hide because they had informers in their own ranks and, you know, people don't, in some instances, they don't want that coming out. And politically, that, that can be damaging from their own point of view. Same with Britain, what they were up to, the Irish government, in terms of the stuff that they did and didn't do uh, during the Troubles. So the system is quite happy to hide all the stuff that it has hidden for so long because it doesn't want that information coming out. But then the consequences are for the citizens and civilians who continue to seek justice. Now, the main objective at the end of the day is to create a shared and integrated society. So how do we move towards achieving that? That is the one lesson of Brexit uh, in relation to the issue of holding referendums. Uh, you do not hold a referendum and then try to figure out the future. And as I said earlier, the issue of policy neglect seldom going unpunished. I mean, that is the clear outcome of the, the, the Brexit referendum is that because of a lack of planning, a lack of foresight, lack of engagement, a lack of studying the consequences, uh, it has meant that Brexit is a disaster in an economic terms and and nobody knows the long-term consequences as of yet but suffice to say they won't be good like it's only how bad will it be and, and there's no good options but um and that is about like northern ireland uh, is divided and in, in this report by the unesco chairs it points out that it is nearly now more divided than it was because people are living in in more segregated housing and going to schools that are not integrated uh, attending social and, and sporting events that are largely separate and then politically it's it's gone to what would be the more extremes in terms of the the politics and Stormont isn't working so 20 years on from the good friday agreement you know, the violence has stopped, but the the reconciliation hasn't happened. And I, I remember talking to Mike Nisbet and he was talking about reconciliation and genuine reconciliation is all hope of a, a better past. And you have to give up all hope of a better past and you have to move forward. So it's, it's about putting in place programs and young people and people on all sides coming together, but giving them the facilities, but doing it in the, and the ways of doing that, in, but doing it in a scale that 
is required and that has not happened in 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 the north it has happened and great work has been done as i have said but not in the way and in the numbers that are needed peter sheridan corporation ireland has suggested that uh, the way assuming that we get the assembly and the executive back up and running that there should be a department for reconciliation do you think that would be a reasonable approach i think that would be a positive thing to happen uh, but it needs the funding you know it needs um a strategy and again the, you know the unesco chairs have talked about the need for reconciliation but also we have to look at the the, the next steps forward in terms of the future generations and that i think is the challenge as a result of brexit is well having the conversation about what is the best for the people of northern in the future of northern and having the debate between unionism and and nationalism about well is it better to stay in the united kingdom uh, or is it better to be in a united ireland and making the arguments and the logic of it but the problem as we've seen with brexit is logic isn't always what what comes to the fore and identity is a very important issue and you have to address people's fears and concerns uh, and that's uh, one of the other pieces of work I'm, i'm looking at at the moment but it's really about putting the work in place now and of course the referendum over brexit has inflamed community differences within northern ireland so what do we learn from that in terms of how we have the constitutional conversation in terms of the future yeah i suppose you know people are pointing to that but in reality the the tensions are there um and what some people are looking for is the excuse and we saw that with the flags protest in 2012-13 where young people were holding banners people who weren't born were holding banners saying we will not be the generation to fail ulster mm. and that was before brexit mm. so you know that's a concern in the run up to any future border poll and like the, the thing is in reality there's going to be a referendum in the united ireland the question is when and how it's conducted and that is a great lesson in policy neglect because i was in the court case in belfast at the court when raymond mccord took the secretary of state to court seeking the secretary of state to come up with a policy and how a referendum on a united ireland would be called in that court case was that this, the judge said justice garvin said like i cannot force her to come up with a policy even though it would be prudent for her to have one and, and it may be prudent but he said it i imagine as a combination of election results and opinion polls um and the problem with that is you know opinion polls are showing that in the event of a hard border due to brexit you know the majority would vote for united ireland and the election results in 2017 showed that the majority of people uh, uh did not vote for pro union candidates now that's the the rest of more people before profit and you know alliance and champagne and slp that's not and the greens well, yeah. and the greens so like you know that's not mm. decisive but at some stage it will be decisive mm. uh the predictions are somewhere between 2024 23 24 and 2029 10 years max mm. and knowing all these facts what are the government doing the irish government the british government with the assistance of the european union and the united states doing to prepare for that reality that there is going to be a referendum um and people will have their views obviously i i want to see a united ireland but like what we have to do is learn those lessons of the past learn the lessons of brexit you sit down you engage with people you talk about their fears and concerns you address their grievances um 
and then you move forward. So the debate that needs to happen is the debate between people of ideas. They say, well, the best idea is to move forward and what's the best for future generations. Um, and that is a debate about the day-to-day issues like housing, health, education, opportunity. Uh, and then when you have those debates of ideas, obviously also addressing people's concerns and that's all done under the umbrella of the Good Friday Agreement. And people may not understand this, but like in the United Ireland, like installment remains, there's provisions that have to be in place in Northern Ireland that wouldn't necessarily have to be in the Republic and issues of the Commonwealth and flags and anthems, statues and issues of identity all have to be addressed. Um, but that needs to be done now in the build-up uh, it cannot be done in the 12 months before a referendum that's simply too late so in other words the the ground rules the evidence needs to be prepared now in advance of a referendum well I, 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 I it's very interesting you mentioned the word ground rules because one of the things in that court case and the most disturbing thing in that court case outside of the fact that the secretary of state could call a, a border poll at any moment but that's unlikely it's more likely the secretary of state would be forced to call a referendum by being taken to court and it going all the way to Supreme Court uh, and a judge is saying well the evidence is there and therefore you must call a border poll um, you do not want a border poll caused by you know protests and people on the streets protesting for a referendum being called and then others come you know because but the simple fact is there is no policy nobody knows the grounds on which a referendum will be called but what I must mention is that not only does Secretary of State decide when the border poll gets called, but also Secretary of State decides who gets to vote. And in Northern Ireland, that is disastrous, uh, given the context of gerrymandering and vote rigging that happened in the past. And the reason that is of concern is if you took the Scottish uh, independence referendum, they, sec- they, they decided that everybody on the local election register got to vote. And they obviously had it from 16 and up which suited the independent side um, because young people were more in favour of Scottish independence. But what they found is when they did the exit polls, the people who were from, we all know it was lost by 49-55, but people from elsewhere in the UK voted against Scottish independence by 75%. People from outside of the UK, EU citizens who were allowed to vote, uh, voted against it by 57%. But people from from Scotland, who were born in Scotland, voted by a margin of 49-51. So they lost, in people who were Scottish, voted by a, just a margin of 1%. A 1.1% swing in your home and host, you know. And if you take that into a Northern Ireland context, you can decide the outcome. The Secretary of State can decide the outcome of the referendum long before any vote is cast. Because if the 16-year-olds are allowed to vote, that obviously favours one community. If it's 18-year-olds, you know, it, it, it affects a community. If it's British passport holders, British and Irish passport holders, British, Irish and European passport holders, you have different outcomes depending on that. So there is another court case. So without that policy being put in place now, all you're going to have is chaos in the run-up to referendum. You're going to have court case after court case where the Secretary of State will come up with, here are the parameters for the voter register for the referendum, guaranteed be, to be taken to court by one side or the other. You are adding fuel to a, a tense situation, and then all it needs is a spark. And it doesn't have to be that way. 
it's, it, because that's the job of politics. The job of politics is to plan and prepare. And no one ever has a statue put up to them because they prevented a war. This is all highly foreseeable. All the outcomes that we're talking about here are highly foreseeable, very predictable. Some of them are very likely. Therefore, that requires government to act. And the longer you don't act, the more conflictual it becomes when you do act. Yeah, because people get used to the idea, well, here I know the parameters. You know, and in a sense, the longer it goes when the demographics change, then the more of a sense of, well, this could happen at any moment. Yeah, yeah, it, it becomes far too tense. Um, yes. And that's where it's like you need to establish those rules and parameters well in advance, but also address people's fears and concerns. That's a very important issue. So like, you know, the issue of land ownership in Northern Ireland, and I've met members of the unionist community who think the land is going to be taken off them. I said to them, who do you think we're going to give it to? You know, but there had there was intimidation in the twenties. There was intimidation in the in the seventies and eighties. And when I say intimidation, farmers were killed, in the hope that they would sell, their families would sell the land. That's a reality. It wasn't widespread, but it happened, and that fear needs to be addressed. How do you do that? You do it by engagement. You do it by planning and sitting down and saying, "This is what is going to happen." Because in the absence of that information, that vacuum will be filled by politicians saying they're going to take your land. They're going to send all the RUC men to jail. They're going to open up tribunals. Somebody has to be able to say, sorry, no, the Irish government has signed this international agreement that says the following. OK, so, Paul, interesting conversation there with Mark. And again, apologies for the bells. But Mark talked about trauma and mental health and counselling as one of the things that was really clear. Yeah, and, and this links, I think, to the conversation we had before we listened to Mark, which is dealing with the past and having this objective view of the past, that you know we have to recognise that people have got things to hide from the past. The different organisations, including the state, have things to hide from the past. And that leads into this sense of repression about how you actually deal with the trauma, about the things that you're involved in, your sense of perhaps guilt or perhaps refusing to accept guilt. I mean, you you know, there's lots of really difficult emotions internally that people are living with from the, the period of troubles. And that means that we do have this residue of mental ill health that's passed down the generations. You've got this intergenerational trauma. And that in turn means that we actually do have to properly invest in counselling services and make those available to far more people than are currently able to do so. Okay. And as you might expect, um, I've been connected with the Irish government. It talks about a citizens' assembly. It's something that comes up and up regularly. That's right, yes. And, uh, you know, Mark's considering really, you know, how do we deal with some of these big challenges? And, you know, perhaps a lot of them need to be dealt with on, on, you know, not just the big themes, but also the practical themes, you know, about how we get on with our lives. Mm. And like a lot of other people that we've had conversations with, Brexit again raises its head, particularly in relation to the constitutional question. Absolutely. And just to say the obvious, you know, which is not to undermine the, the value of what Mark's saying there, but the obvious thing is we have to learn from Brexit and we actually have to prepare for any referendums we have in the future. We have to plan and not think simply that, you know, let's let's just get on with it and uh, everything will be fine the day after the referendum result because actually lack of planning leads into yeah, crisis. Yeah, it does have a bit of an impact. Okay, well, that's that for this episode of the Forward Together podcast. Keep an eye out through, uh, or for future episodes through hollywelltrust.com and sluggerotool.com. Um, thanks to Mark for taking the time to have a conversation with Paul. And thanks to Dee Kern and Emer Doherty for production support. Thanks for listening. 
The Community Relations Council for Northern Ireland supports this podcast through its media grant scheme and core funding programme.